Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations with the intention of demystifying, destigmatizing, and desensitizing what really gets talked about behind the closed doors of the therapy room. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Selkin. And we're seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. So join us as we dive into the ways that therapy can be connecting not only to yourself, but also to those around you. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. So glad that you guys are listening into our podcast. And Danae and I are super excited to talk about the fact that we have our first in-person retreat coming up this January, uh, the first week actually, January 2nd through 7th in Carefree, Arizona. It's going to be a stunner. This retreat is happening at Sivana Retreat, which is like, I could not be more excited for this. I know. It's so beautiful, so luxurious. And, you know, I feel like we have been so hungry to come together in community for certainly over a year now. And, you know, we were really committed to like, we want to do this in a way that feels safe for everyone and in a way that we can really hold some therapeutic containing work, um, but also really create community in a way that all of us have been so hungry to feel it for so long now. Yeah. And if you guys are listening to the podcast then you know what Danae and I are about, right? You know that we are all about getting in there, deep diving, getting beneath the surface. And so we're going to bring together, it's basically going to be a week of us bringing together all of the deepest, most integrative work that her and I do on a day-to-day basis, right? Mm. So we're going to be doing shadow work. We're going to be doing inner child work. We're going to be talking about the mother wound. We're going to be, you know, getting in and digging out old codependent relationship behaviors and patterns. I mean, there is so much that we are packing into this week. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. That, that Thematic just, healing work. Woo. And, you know, we're going to dive into masculine and feminine dynamics, which we're obsessed with. But, you know, to me, this is really going to be like us supporting you in leveling up, you know, not only your spiritual tools and your toolkit in general, but you know, how you want to enter 2022, right? Yeah. How can you learn to live from the most authentic place or the Mm -hmm. most authentic space that you possibly can. That is really our hope to be able to give you the tools to do that in the best way that you can. Love it. This is from self-abandonment to inner belonging, the intensive, like you said, V, January 2nd through 7th in Carefree, Arizona. Join us. Yeah. It's on uh, my website, vanessabennett.com backslash retreats. All right, y'all are about to see Vanessa and I geek out. I know. I even referenced the level of geeking that we're doing as sweating because it actually creates a physical response. <laughs> when I get this excited about something, I'm like, oh my God, I'm sweating. <laughs> yeah, this guest is such a find. I'm a little bit like straight up girl crush obsessed with her. Uh, girl crush to the point where I'm like, oh, you live on the east side we're of We're like, where do you oh, live? Like, we're going to be, be friends. In a coffee maybe? As the extrovert me normally does where I'm like, you and I are now friends, whether you like it or not. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, Vanessa, get her. Let's go. So, Sam, if you're listening, (laughs) we have a big crush on you. It's about to happen. (laughs) Yeah, no, but for real, y'all, this is. um, I mean, I think I say it like ten times in in the interview, but uh, this is why Danae and I started this podcast, right? Like, Mm. it's people like this, it's conversations like this, it's these. Let's get in there beneath the surface and talk about, you know, depth psychology. Like, what is this? This the psychology of the soul. Like, let's talk yes. about things that we don't otherwise talk about in our day to day life. And I think that what I love so much about this guest is that 
she is able to kind of give me that and also play to my kind of left brain, more masculine, like I need structure personality, which is like, oh, you're taking a depth psychological thing and you're putting like a container around it. I like you. You know, what's so beautiful about you saying that I was literally, as she was speaking, I'm like, I feel like she holds space for both of us so yeah. beautifully, like your research brain. That's like, no, I would like some facts and some evidence. And this is why yeah, this is 12 true. specific things. And you're going to say, I'm like, yes, there's a number. And I'm like, oh, energetically, you're just like so in the depths of what the inner child is feeling. And she like met both of us there so beautifully. So I feel like she really holds space for everyone in a really beautiful way. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that actually is a really important thing to even just give like voice to is that, you know, you and I have talked about this, especially more frequently, but this understanding more, I guess, of the importance of being able to hold space for encompass embody whatever word you want to use both sides of of the, the mm -hmm. coin right um i think it's important for all of us to be able to play around and be fluid in this more feminine space and also have the containment and the safety of of the more masculine space and i and i love that the conversations are beginning to come up more and we're having this dialogue more you know um and i think that dr sam who you're about to listen to just encompasses that in a really beautiful way you know you can have both absolutely enjoy y'all after two decades of practicing psychotherapy dr sam rader developed her own therapeutic approach that examines how early childhood experiences write source code in the unconscious Oof. As the owner and clinical director of the Source Code Psychotherapy Center in Los Angeles, she and her team of mental health practitioners help individuals rewrite their code for a healthier, more beautiful life. With enough support, good boundaries, and real love, Sam believes we are all capable of becoming who we really are. Oh, Amen. I love that so Amen. much already. Love Dr. you guys. Sam, thank you so much for being here. We're so excited. Me too. Feels really good. I mean, I have to tell you, we don't. I mean, we're kind of depth psychology nerds. So whenever somebody comes to us and they're like, "Depth psychology," we're like, we're like yeah. Ooh, "We like her already." That's amazing. When I say depth psychology, people are like, "What is that?" Oh yeah, <laughs> what are we're, you we're familiar. <laughs> I usually does your audience know? Should we tell them? I mean, please. I would love to hear it from your words. I mean, we're always babbling on about it. Triple. Oh, like, you are. Yeah, yeah, we heard. <laughs> but like, yeah, we get it. But we'd love to hear how you describe it when people ask you what depth psychology is. Well, I guess what I would say is that if, if we're depth therapists, we look beyond the surface of things Yes, that we right. see that underneath each of our, um, concrete experiences that we have, there's a deeper patterning, mm -hmm. a deeper meaning, and all of it relates to our early experiences, children, where we absorbed, um, our environment and our caretakers, and they became our internal world. Our external world became our internal world. Mm -hmm. And then from my perspective in source code psychology, our internal world creates the external world in turn. Right. So we kind of get imprinted and then, and then keep recreating old patterns. So as a depth therapist, we, we hear what you're saying about your day-to-day -day experiences, but we look deeper. Yes. We want to know what's really going on symbolically, what's really going on beneath the surface that's driving these experiences that you're having day-to-day -day, and how can we shift things underground in order to have your minute to minute experiences be a little more aligned with mm. who you really want to be and who you really are. Mm. And even when you said deeper, the way you were like deeper, it's like people have got to understand that that's like what gets us off. 
like the idea of going deeper. We're like, yes, go deeper. Yeah. That, guys, we have found the right, we have have a bullseye here. This I know. Is the right crowd. I know exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. We're going to be quoting that specific way of describing it from now on. I have no doubt. I love mm-hmm. the way that you broke that down, Sam. Um, will Yay. you tell us a little bit about your origin story and how you came to do the work that you do now? Sure. Um, I was born, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> in a hospital on a hill. <laughs> I was born next to the Beverly Center, to be honest, in Los Angeles. Oh. My story is that as I became a psychologist, which is, takes forever, it's a whole journey, um, you know, you, you're able to be exposed to all the different theories and mm. styles of practice as you're in training. And the more I learned about depth work, or what some people call psychodynamic or more specifically psychoanalytic mm-hmm. psychology, that's when I really start to felt like I was coming alive. Um, so whenever I was exposed to ideas about the unconscious, the symbolic, how we internalize our early experience, all of that, it really spoke to something in me. And so I started to seek out mentors um, and and trainings that were more and more. And I started out sort of in the somatic world. I started doing somatic experiencing. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a therapist at the time who was into somatic experiencing and gosh, I love working through the body. And I don't think you have to leave the body out when you do depth work whatsoever. In fact, it all goes, goes together. Right. But um, the more I learned about the unconscious and how the unconscious symbols actually shape what shows up in our bodies and our minds and our worlds, that's what really drew me in. So I, um, I spent 10 years sitting with an incredible mentor who helped me understand the depths of, of the psyche. And as I was doing that, I had also um, learned about how our early experience shapes our character or our personality. Mm-hmm. And there was a book called Character Styles by a man named Stephen Johnson. Um, and it described seven different character styles and the developmental stages during childhood where those styles gets formed if we don't get the good enough parenting at mm-hmm. that time. And I was just hooked on that. And I actually approached Stephen Johnson and it's a very dense book written for psychoanalytic psychologists. And I approached him and said, Hey, do you want to co-write a book for the general public on this? And he, you know, I flew out to San Francisco to meet with him. He was incredible. So kind, but he was like, you know, I'm unwell, I'm aging. I don't have the energy. You have my blessing go Mm -hmm. after it. And that was 10 years ago or more than 10 years ago. And I attempted to rewrite his book uh, as for the general public and it didn't go anywhere. And it's because really my own book was wanting to be born. Mm -hmm. So as I sat with this idea of how our personalities get formed, what got revealed to me over the last 10 years is that there's actually 12 styles, not just seven. Mm -hmm. And the universe actually had me live each one and resolve it before I could write the chapter. So Mm -hmm. it was, you know, I offered my willingness, but it certainly wasn't created by me. I would just be sort of set in the center of a labyrinth and my life would start to come undone in very disturbing, strange ways. And I wouldn't quite understand why does it feel so bad in this very specific way? What is this? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I figured out what it was, where it came from in childhood and how to heal it in myself and in my clients that I could actually put pen to paper and write the chapter. That's why writing this book has taken me 10 stinking years. <laughs> I had to live it, but now it has been lived. And these are my last few months. I, I got a book deal this year and Congrats. the book will be coming out next year. And, um, so I've graduated from seeing clients. I no longer see clients. I now teach coaches and therapists how to work 
in the style of therapy I've created source code. Wow. And um, yeah, it's a groovy, it's a groovy time to be me. <laughs> All the hard work is paying off. Wow. Yeah. I would like to actually know, cause I'm, I kind of, I mean, talk about the depths. I want to know about, give me an example or two, if you can, of some of those times where you did feel like your life was unraveling. I mean, I don't want to get too much into like what you're going to obviously talk about in the book, but I, I would love to hear more about like, there's one or two examples where you were like, oh, bingo, this is this specific one, right? And yeah. this has to come to light now in the way that I write. Yeah. So just to sort of paint the picture for you, what would happen would be, it would just be this totally immersive experience where everything in my life would feel bad in one specific way. Everything, mm -hmm. it would paint my work, my relationships, how I felt about myself, everything, everything, everything. And it would be sometimes weeks, mostly months, sometimes a year of being stuck in one of these, you know, uh, defense mechanisms. Mm -hmm. And I call them the coping styles. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as I would resolve it, I'd be like, oh, I'm out. And it would be like such a like incredible release. And I'd feel like a million dollars, like pretty much the next day I'd be in a new one. And mm. I was like, Oh my <laughs> God, I tasted freedom for one second. Um, so just so you know, it's been 10 years of that radical video game of life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but to give you some examples, the deprived style is one of the coping styles in my book. And it's a really sad one. And it was a really, really hard one to live through. It took me the longest, took me about a year to get out of. And deprived is when we feel sort of broken or bad or empty inside. And so we can't imagine that anything good would be drawn toward us spontaneously. We don't feel mm -hmm. good inside. So we don't feel magnetic or beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, so we feel repellent. We feel rejectable, we feel worthless. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of only know how to digest the bad milk or the bad food. So feeling bad feels right somehow, even though it feels bad, it, mm -hmm. we know how to subsist on those bad feelings and we don't know what to do with good feelings. So if yeah. someone says, oh, I love you, you go, well, not for long, or you're only saying that because I pay you, or, you know, there's, we have to find a way to either turn the good milk sour or spit it out because we don't know how to digest the good. So when I was in that coping style for a year, it was just this perpetual bad trip where I felt like no one loved me anywhere. I was, I was so sure that everyone hated me and didn't want me there. Um, I was in a really difficult romantic relationship that was unfulfilling, no matter what I did, no matter which way I turned, it felt bad, but I also didn't know how to shake loose of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I just felt so bad inside and outside at all times for about a year. And it was just this Herculean effort to get the F out of that, that matrix. It was really, really hard, but, um, actually it was, uh, one of my coaches was able to help me emerge. Um, and she, she was just like, you know, cause, cause when someone has this style, by the way, as the therapist of someone with this style, it's really hard because no matter all the love you give them, they're like a sieve. It just goes right through. It's like, it doesn't land. Mm -hmm. And so my coach had been trying to help me and help me and help me. And this is Deanna Smith. She's incredible. Um, and eventually said, you know what? I don't know if I can help you. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And I was like, I thought she didn't like me. I was tripping, tripping, tripping. Yeah. And then she, she eventually said, and I was just sitting there like, I, I have nothing. I am nothing. No one loves me. I mean, just really dark. And then she, I said, what's the problem? What's it? And she's like, you're not being receptive. Cause I was like, why do you like Stevie? You guys know Stevie, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Stevie and I have the same coach. I'm like, why do you like Stevie? But you don't like me. She's like, Stevie's being receptive. Mm -hmm. And I just, I was so angry and so hurt and couldn't make sense of it. But I just sat right at the edge of, 
what does that mean? What does that mean? Receptive, receptive. What does that mean? And so I went back and looked at all my notes from the last year with this coach. And instead of spitting out what she had said that I'd written down, I was like, what if I just let that in? Like, what if I swallow it and allow it to go down into my esophagus, down into my belly and fill me up? And it was like this new energetic polarity where things could go in Mm. instead of being repelled. Mm -hmm. And I started opening it was like, I simply opened because in this bad feeling, I just kept unconsciously pushing everything away. And instead I opened to receive and all of a sudden the floodgates were open and all this good started pouring into me, not just from her, but from the universe. I mean, everything looked beautiful. My, mm. the trees outside, my, my cats, everything was beautiful. And I realized I was loved. Mm. I wrote a song. It's like, you're loved, 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 loved. It's like for the first time I could feel I'm loved in a definitive way by the universe, by God, by my friends, by everyone. I just felt so full. It was like the opposite of how I'd been feeling. And I was like, I'm out of the deprived matrix. And the antidote is loved because each, each coping style has, has an antidote. Mm. It's loved. I love this. And it feels really relatable because I know, I know when you said the thing about as the therapist of somebody in that state today, and I kind of like shook her head because we have talked about how, um, we both struggle sometimes when you are sitting across from a client who is in this place of just zero receptivity, right? I think we call um, them help rejecting complainers. Yeah. <laughs> yes. rejecting and by complainers. the way, there's two of those in my book. There's the deprived, okay. which is one of the covert masochistic, it feels good to feel bad. Yeah, yeah. And if that's a feeding injury, the one I just described, and there's yeah. another one, which I call frustrated, which is a will injury when the, it has more of an angry tone than a mm. poor me tone. Well, so can you explain though, for people who, I mean, are not maybe nerding out in the same way that we are on this stuff is like, explain how this is a coping style. Like I have my own way of describing it, but I would love to hear you break it down for people. Like, because people are going to hear this and be like, what do you mean? That's a coping, like coping with what, right? Like who would want to feel like shit all the time. Right. And like, what purpose does that serve? And I would love to hear your thoughts on that. You guys are so cool, by the way, you're setting such a beautiful container. I feel so open to explain these things in a way that feels really rich and lushy, luscious. Get in it, it, girl. (laughs) Um, Okay. So for the deprived wound, the one that I was talking about, the way that gets formed is if during infancy, we sort of had the mother's back turned to us either literally or, or metaphorically. And so there was this idea of rejection. Mm -hmm. So when we are fed, as infants, we not only need the calories, the the milk to go in, but we also need the love and the gazing and the tenderness and the warmth. And we digest that too, that that forms our emotional digestive tract. So if we're getting all that good warmth, we internalize that as I must be good. There's something good coming into me. There's something good that loves me. I must be good. I'm now drinking it in. I'm filled up with the good. I'm good inside. There's good outside. It's all good. Mm -hmm. So we internalize that. So if we had a deprived youth, we felt rejectable somehow, right? And so we feel bad inside. We didn't get the good milk. We got the bad milk. We conditional got, maybe like perhaps the, the love felt conditional. Yeah. Maybe it felt conditional or maybe the parent was distracted or self-absorbed or anxious or struggling depressed. with their own mental health issues. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. And, um, what, for whatever reason, they couldn't show up for us with that yummy, fulfilling love. So we end up feeling broken, bad or empty inside. And as we become children, we learn these coping mechanisms to, to defend around that, to mm-hmm. deal with that by manipulating if we're deprived, we learn how to manipulate, to steal love. And we do that. Mm-hmm. There's six different subtypes of deprived, but we either play wounded, like play the victim mm-hmm. 
or act so that we can get care through the form of sympathy because we don't believe care would just come toward us just by being. So we're going to have to steal care, right? Um, either we play wounded or we play elusive, like hard to get, come chase me or um, indispensable. Like I need you to need me because if you need me, you can't leave um, or charming. We have to sing for our supper. There's, there's six of these ways we can do that. But why is it a coping style is that if we don't get good and we don't know how to digest good, and we can't subsist on good because there is no good. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to figure out a way how to digest the bad mm. and live off of the bad and make use of the bad and build an identity around the bad, build an identity around self-pity and bitterness mm. and pain. And even though those things don't taste good, you can subsist on pain. Mm-hmm. You can subsist on complaining all day. And it becomes an emotional set point. It's the way we make our way through life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I can't get attention for feeling good. I could get attention for feeling bad. Mm. And that's how it's bad attention. Even if it's bad attention, attention. even Mm -hmm. if it's bad attention, it's something. Mm -hmm. It was the only way we could cope. And that's the thing. Each of these coping styles, they're universal, meaning everyone who had that feeling of not feeling fully loved and cherished, everyone develops the, the deprived coping style. And they're not only universal, but they're also very elegant responses. Mm-hmm. There was no other way to go. There was no way to get the good. So you could either die because you didn't have anything to feed on or figure out a way to feed on the bad. It was very elegant. But of course, what got us through in an environment that wasn't supportive to our wholeness is now getting in our way as adults. Right. The very thing that you know saved our life is now ruining our lives. Right. And that's why I call the coping styles kind of like the invisible prisons that we live inside of. And we're often not even aware of them because, you know, we, uh, it's how we've always been. Right. So we think it's just our personality. And it's worked so far. I mean, Absolutely. we're here, we've survived, right? I always tell people that like, I love the word elegant that you use, but I'm always like, hallelujah, you know, give praise, give thanks to those defenses because they are the reason you are here today. Absolutely. And we can tip our hat in gratitude and also learn new ways of living, right? Yeah. So beautifully said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is, yeah. I mean, so brilliant, Sam. And I feel like as I listen to you talk about these coping styles, I'm curious, you said, I feel like I went through several of the different coping styles while writing the book mm-hmm. throughout this 10 year period. Do you feel oh, like well, 12 years? There's 12 of them. And I lived through all 12. <laughs> yeah. So I was, I guess I was thinking about like this 10 year period. Do you feel like that was always the case for you? Or do you think most people go through several of the 12 coping styles, or is that just something like I was sort of acutely aware as I'm sort of yeah, studying like and searching this material that I was aware of this within myself? Yeah. So, um, all of us have at least a handful of these, and we have some that I call like our core wounds. They're kind of our primary modes of being. So if someone's showing up and they're kind of like really OCD about everything, it's like, Oh, constricted is one of their main coping styles. Got it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of us have several of them because none of our parents got it right. hundred percent of the time. Each of these wounds is a adaptation to us not getting what we need at a certain developmental stage. Mm-hmm. So for me, my wonderful parents fucked it up completely. <laughs> they got it wrong every single time. So, um, so I have all 12. Mm-hmm. Now I have some of mine are a little more, um, pronounced than others, but I do have all 12 of the coping styles. Not everyone has all 12. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I, that's, you know, I, I'm actually truly deeply so grateful. I really am so grateful to be the person with all 12 because it allowed me to be the conduit. It allowed me to uh, have my psyche flossed by some unseen hand. And uh, I feel so amazing in a way that I probably couldn't have had I not lived through this. Mm. But um, what happens that I've found is that when we start to become aware of our coping styles, simply by letting, because it's unconscious, they're all unconscious coping mm -hmm. styles. Mm -hmm. So once we make them conscious, once one starts to bubble up to the surface of like, wait, I am a little bit OCD. Wait, why am I like this? Mm -hmm. What is this? As soon as we start to name it and go, oh, I'm constricted. And this is because my parents were really rigid. And I was told there was right and wrong. And I had to be right or else I'd be punished. And oh, 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 mm -hmm. it, everything starts to shift and the whole matrix starts to unfurl as soon as we put our attention on these things. Hmm. Um, and what I find is that the universe is pretty benevolent where it'll present hopefully not more than one or two of these at a time for us so that we can be digesting and metabolizing and integrating them. Um, and then what I find is when one does com complete its healing, the next layer of the onion is revealed. Like, mm -hmm. I call it the triage, you know, in a, in a emergency room, when someone comes in, the triage nurse has to decide, like, do we have to see you right away because you're missing an arm or can you wait till a little later because you just have a cold. And so in terms of the coping styles, there's going to be the one that's like, this is a missing limb. We've got to, this is really harming your life right now. Let's heal it. And then once those are healed, the other ones come forward and go, can you heal me too? <laughs> I wasn't necessarily an emergency, but I'm still preventing you from being who you really are. Let's, let's work with this. Hmm. And when you say healed, I mean, cause I, I know that when I work with people, I mean, it should even in myself, you know, I I'm pretty aware of my, I mean, I, I don't have the language that you're using and I, I'm super curious and I can't wait to read your book so I can actually use specific names for these things. But, um, you know, I I'm pretty aware of the certain defenses that are definitely my primary and as much healing and as much understanding as I have around them, the reality is they're still my guards. They're still going to step in front of me and try to protect me when I get really overwhelmed, when I get really flooded, when I get really activated. Now I don't have to, you know, I don't have to allow them to run the show. I have more understanding and awareness now to maybe breathe into them and then do the hard thing anyway, or, you know, kind of swallow it and step in front of them, but they are still there. I mean, are, are you saying that there, when you say heal, I guess, explain that for our listeners. Like, cause I, I think a lot of people that I've worked with believe that once you understand and heal, there's like, I can be fixed, right? Like I am now fixed. I am now better. Um, and I know at least with me, the way I work well is understanding, like it's a part of who you are. It's just, um, you have a different way of relating to it now that you understand it more, if that makes sense. I, I really hear you. And I do, I can feel into both sides of this paradox. Um, I love a paradox, um, but <laughs> it's like, we can heal it and it's lifelong. Um, but I think, I think both are true. And um, you know, it's like, what you're talking about is if you get triggered, this certain defense will come up and, and maybe one of those is a coping style, or maybe they're just more of those like immediate defenses to actual triggers, but these coping styles, they're actually, you know, this is why Steve Johnson called them character styles. They're actually mm -hmm. characterological, meaning it's your personality. Mm -hmm. So um, your personality as a deprived person is someone who can't know anything about the good. Mm -hmm. Everything feels bad. I am bad. I am rejectable. I'm a loser. No one loves me. These feel more than all consuming versus just in a moment of react or of, exactly. of activation. It's, yeah. Yes. It's like it's a way not, of experiencing the world. Right. It's, it's not situational. It's pervasive. It's, you know, it's a trait. Okay. It's yeah. not a state. 
And so when we take someone deprived and we teach them how to change what I call their square shaped stomach into a round shaped stomach that knows how to digest round morsels like love and care, Mm. they're actually a different person. Mm -hmm. They actually become someone who's oriented to the good in themselves and in life and they feel good. Mm -hmm. And and so you can heal it. Mm -hmm. Do they ever backslide if they are triggered and kind of go back a little bit into the deprived story sometimes? But once you're out, it's really hard to go all the way back into the old story because you know better now. You're like, oh, that's my old one. Like, I don't need to live that lie anymore. My very first meeting with my coach, Deanna, she's like, so you have all these things, this beautiful office, beautiful life, beautiful friends, beautiful employees, great this. Do you get to feel any of that inside? And I was like, not a lick. Mm. No, I felt awful inside all the time, no matter what. And now I feel good inside, no matter what, even if I'm having a hard day, even if I do something that I don't like about myself, I still feel on my own team in a way that doesn't change with the weather. Like I love myself. I trust myself. I like myself. It's it's, I did not feel that way at all for 40 years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's some, you know, I tend to approach things a lot of times from a bit of a spiritual perspective, and there's a lot of what you're describing that feels almost like a spiritual awakening to me. And I'm curious to hear more about your methodology of working with clients and what that looks like um, a lot of times, because it feels like, you know, a paradigm shift of like how I'm experiencing life in general that you're speaking to. So what does that look like when you train people? You guys are the best, by the way. Like, this is like <laughs> a dream for me. Like, can I come on your podcast every week? Um, uh, thank you for that question. Yes, it's a very spiritual process for me. So um, for me, this this source code modality is a, is a shamanic technology. And I don't mean that in cultural appropriation. I mean, truly, like we climb inside the matrix. We go to the other side. We open portals to new dimensions. It's mm-hmm. very, very deeply spiritual work. Mm-hmm. So what I teach the therapists and coaches that I train to do, and by the way, I do have a 12 week course coming up for coaches and therapists. I don't know when this will air, but it's October 6th. What I teach you guys to do is to, when the client comes in and they're telling you about their, their daily stories, instead of responding at all to the content of what they're saying, we see beneath to, to whatever coping styles the client is bringing in, because they're mm-hmm. actually just telling you about their style. And so instead of speaking to the, the, the information that they gave you, you speak deeper. Mm-hmm. I use vague symbolic language that comes from object relations, um, which is a type of psychoanalytic therapy where we bypass the, the thinking mind and we speak directly to the unconscious. So the example I always like to give is if a guy comes in and says, you know, my boss is just such a bully, such a dick. What do I do? He did this, that, and the other to me. How do I talk to him? How do I change this? What do I do? Instead of talking about the boss at all mm-hmm. or telling him what to do, I would just say, oh, so there's this one thing that gets to have all the power mm-hmm. and this other thing that doesn't get to have any power. And these two parts go together in a really important way. So I'm speaking to his unconscious. I'm speaking to the symbols, the source code in his unconscious, because what happened was as a little one, someone in the family had all the power and someone else didn't get to have any power. Maybe that was his mom and dad, or maybe that was his dad and mom, or maybe that was his dad and him or whomever, Mm. but he's internalized those objects and the relationship between them into Mm. his unconscious. This is the way it is. And he just keeps playing out that play. 
yeah. over and over. Now at work, the boss is the bully and he's the victim. Maybe at home, he's the bully and his wife or kids are the victim. Once you internalize the play, you can play either part. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm saying these parts go together in an important way because he's got that bully victim story and it's going to be the drivers on the road, the boss at home. It's going to be everywhere. It's ubiquitous. It shows up in everything. That's why I call it the hologram. We can talk more about that later. But so what we do as source code therapists is we just speak to the code. So we say there's parts, things, stuff. We never say I or you. We don't you know, calcify things into pronouns because that takes us out of his unconscious. Mm. So we don't talk about the boss. We say, oh, there's this thing that has all the power. And this other thing doesn't get to have any power. And at first they might be like, what? But I'll tell you, they take it on real quick because you're speaking the language of the unconscious. The unconscious only speaks in symbols. It doesn't speak how we speak. You can't reach the unconscious when you're using linear language. Right. So you speak to the symbols and What's so beautiful is that I believe every psyche has an innate healing function. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you mirror the code back to itself, Mm -hmm. it starts to rewire and repair. It's like, oh, that's what I'm doing. That's the story I keep playing out. It starts to self-repair. All you have to do is mirror it back. And then all of a sudden his life will start to change in ways that he's like, wait, my things are going differently. This, it's not so much of a bully what's happening here, but oftentimes for me, the, the most poignant shift, the holy shift, I call it, happens through the transference. Mm-hmm. So the transference is the relationship between the therapist and the client. And particularly the negative transference is where I find the most juice. So the negative transference is when the client projects that awful dynamic onto you, the mm-hmm. therapist. So I, is it okay that I keep going deeper into oh, this? Oh, please, please. I mean, we're um, like geeking out here. I'm eating up. Go ahead. <laughs> I literally love this. I can talk about it all day. So the way I like to think about the unconscious is kind of like a sand tray. So mm-hmm. in Jungian analysis, they have this technique called sand tray, yes. where there's literally a tray that's like two feet by a foot and a half or something, and it's filled with sand. And the analyst will have rows and rows of figurines representing every symbol that the unconscious could ever want to play with. So there's houses and churches and rocks and trees and animals and gods and goddesses and humans and tools and every single thing you can imagine on this thing. And the therapist just says to the client, just go pick whatever's calling you and we'll just play, Mm -hmm. play in the sand. And the symbols they choose are the symbols they carry around with them in their unconscious. Mm. And they play in the sand. And what I see as a source code therapist is that whatever they're bringing in, whatever content from their week they're bringing in, they're just bringing in symbols in their sand tray. The four rooms of the therapy, or even if it's over Zoom, the, the four you know, edges of the Zoom screen contain, that's the sand tray. So when they say my boss was such a dick, he did this, that, and the other, it's like, oh, so today we have this alligator symbol. And we also have this little mouse. Hmm. (laughs) That's what he's bringing in. Mm -hmm. So in sand trade, it's, it's the ability for the unconscious to have a waking dream. The same way that as we dream, there are symbols that we see that represent things in our unconscious. Our unconscious is working something through. When you're conscious, you're working it through with the symbols in your sand tray. So the way I see the world is that everything someone's experiencing is just part of their sand tray. Mm -hmm. So when he brings in the symbolic, I just speak to it as the symbolic. 
I say, oh, the bully and the, the victim or the thing with all the power and the thing with no power, I'm just speaking to the symbols. So the negative transference to come back is when he hands me one of those figurines and says, okay, now you play in the tray. You're that one. Mm-hmm. So he says, well, you know, you're just trying to control me now because you say we have to start on time. And if mm-hmm. I come late, then we're going to start. We, we can't end late. And, you know, you're such a Nazi about the time. You're the mean boss now. You're the mean daddy now. You're the bully now. You're the alligator now. Mm-hmm. So when he hands me that figurine in the sand tray, I don't go, no, I'm not. You, I'm just, I'm just here to support you. Blah, 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 blah. I would, that would really ruin the vibe, right? Like that yeah. wouldn't allow us to complete the magic that is the negative transference. So when he hands me that figurine, essentially I say, oh, so now I'm the thing with all the power trying to control you. Mm-hmm. I don't deny it. I don't refute it. I sit with it. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, you are. And you did this, that, and the other, blah, 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 blah. Oh, yes. It's so enraging when it really feels like one person's going to have all the power and the other one's just totally a victim to this. Yeah. Cause you did this, 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 and you don't fight it, right? You allow it to happen. You allow it to foment. You allow his lifelong appropriate rage at being controlled by his father and then his boss and then whatever you allow him to express it and know it and own it and feel it in the room with you. It's like, it's, we're no longer talking about it as a thing out there. It's here. It's now it's between us. Yes. It's here. Okay. 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 And then eventually there's this sort of like magic that happens because some part of them knows it's not you. Mm -hmm. Some part of them knows that you're a good person and a good therapist and care about them. And so they know that this is their shit now. They know that this is what they've been carrying around for years and years and years. And they project it onto everything and everyone because they're projecting it onto you and you're not denying it. You're like, all right, so now you're projecting it onto me. Let's go. Mm -hmm. Right. And in that powerful moment, that's when the portal to a new dimension opens because they can feel, oh, this is the thing. This is the play I keep playing. This is so familiar. Now I'm doing it with this person that I know isn't actually the person. Oh shit. It is mine. Okay. 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 And when they're there and it's heightened and it's just, you can't even go higher. The the charge is so high. That's when I like to introduce the new line of code or say, you know, it's hard to imagine my mentor, Steve Cottle taught me to say, it's hard to imagine that maybe both parts get to have power mm-hmm. and just let it sit. Mm-hmm. There's a portal to another dimension. They can either walk through that portal or not. They can live in the old play where there's always a split around power or they can peek their head into this new world of like, wait, what if Sam and I both get to have power? Mm-hmm. And what are the ways I might get to have power here? And it's like, well, yeah, what do you think? It's like, well, I guess I do get to decide whether I come here I am coming here on my free will. Mm. You sure are. Interesting. So I get the free will to say what time we start and you get the free will to say whether you want to work with me or not. Huh? So maybe no one's a bully here. See what I love about this is that, I mean, Danae and I could talk about this for days too. And I think this is a really important thing for a lot of therapists to I don't want to say understand because I don't want to say con. I don't want to. I don't want to sound condescending, but I, I don't think a lot of maybe I'm misspeaking. I don't think a lot of therapeutic schools teach the importance of transference and countertransference no, it's in the rare. way right that we learn in a more psychoanalytical based training. Yes, and I think what you're saying is so spot on and 
there are very few therapists. And I would even say myself kind of sort of included, I mean, I'm better at it now that actually would be able to sit and tolerate without their own stuff coming up, which is why it's so important as a therapist for you to also be in therapy or to have done your own work. Right. But this is hard for humans, right. Versus just even, even being a therapist and you're right. There is so much healing. It's almost, it could almost be the crux of healing. And yet I think as flawed human beings, just like therapists are right. There is a way that we can almost, the word cock block just came up, but it's like in a way we can cock block the healing by not actually being able to to tolerate and and hold that for that person. Right. And this is, I, I don't think that we get the training in, in the ability to hold the transference that we really need as therapists. Yes. That's one of my goals in life is to um, sort of repopularize psychoanalytic thought and yeah. to create schools of training for this. This is, this is the way that I train people to work. It doesn't have and, to be dusty Freudian stuff, you know, it's no, like it, it because no. I think people tend to push it away or, or think, oh, that's just the old way of thinking. And it's like, no, there actually is a lot of legitimate, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm more in the Jungian camp, but there's a lot of legitimacy in so much of it. Right. If we can, to your point, kind of dust it off and bring yeah. it to the surface. Yeah. And what you were saying about doing our own work, that is the crux of source code healing. So as a source code practitioner, whether you're a coach or a therapist, me as the teacher, we focus number one on your stuff. Yeah. We f- focus on healing your coping styles first for a few reasons. One is like you were saying, you're the instrument in the room. Mm-hmm. And if you're not finely tuned, then you're going to be in your blind spots, colluding with their blind spots, doing more damage potentially than good. (laughs) Absolutely. The other reason is that we usually tend to attract clients who have very similar wounding to ourselves. Mm, It's very (laughs) spiritual. So if you've done the healing on yourself, then you know, experientially from an embodied place, what it is to be on the other side and you can walk them there. Mm. We can only take our clients as far as we've gone ourselves. So when we do the source code healing first, we do it on ourselves because if you've got a split around power and that guy's projecting this shit on you, you're going to have a heyday with that. But if you've resolved your split around power, by the way, we're talking about the frustrated coping style. It's another one of those feeling bad, feels good things. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you've got that split around, if, if you've healed that split around power and you, and you know, you know better, you're like, oh, I used to have that split around power, but I don't anymore. I know what it feels like to feel empowered with someone else empowered. You get to part of opening that portal is embodying the new frequency. It's embodying the new story and inviting them in. Mm-hmm. What if we both get to have power here? But you can't do that if you've still got a split around power inside of right. you. So we always start with healing the therapist first. Wow. We go deep, deep, deep into the matrix Amen. and uh, heal them first. Yeah. It's so interesting. Energetically, as you're speaking, I just felt such a sense of like, you're speaking to their inner child so clearly. Like I, just felt, almost... I was like, this sounds like the parenting conversation Danae and I were having five and, minutes before we got on. And actually. Vanessa and I were literally just having this conversation before we got on about how I am starting to notice within my four-year-old that he is really responding to options, right? That like, it's the powerlessness that mm-hmm. is really like creating the sense of frustration. So if I say you can have option A or option B, it's like an immediate calm versus like, if I'm like, this is what you need to do, then it's like, I have no power. Right. And so I love that so much of what you're saying about this, this transference and this counter transference, I I feel like, you know, I have a Jungian therapist, but 
so much of the reparenting work that we've done together is about like her being this maternal figure to me and being able to hold mm -hmm. my inner child's frustration with her. I just feel like it's so beautiful energetically, even listening to you speak to it. It feels like you're speaking to a child mm -hmm. and tending to what they never got to experience or feel in such a beautiful way. You know? Well, and to build on that today, what I love too, is that, you know, you and your Jungian therapist have had this, I think we've talked a lot about this, like reparenting that you've gotten through this relationship. My first therapist wasn't even, I mean, she wasn't even in a license. I mean, she was a spiritual therapist, right? I mean, for lack of a better term. Um, and that was a similar experience that I have. And I think with Jungian psychology and depth psychology, you cannot take the spirit. You cannot take the spirituality. You cannot take the um, connection to something other, connection to something greater, connection to source, going deeper, the matrix, all these kind of funny terms that we're throwing around. You actually can't separate that from the process. You can't separate that from the psychology. I mean, this is why Jungian is called the psychology of the soul, right? Um, and I think this is why we all get so excited and nerd out on this stuff. Cause it's not very black and white. Like if you do this, then this behavior gets fixed. And then, you know, a plus B equals C. And when I see therapy kind of acting from that place, it just feels so disjointed to me. And it doesn't give me that same kind of fiery, like, oh yeah, let's get in there and let's talk about it. Like these conversations. And I think this is part of why Danae and I wanted to do this podcast to begin with really was just mm -hmm. like, Let's talk about the therapy and the psychology that makes you get like sweaty, <laughs> you know, that gets your heart racing so much that you're like, Whoa, let's talk about it. You know, not well, just and that people see. And that we find healing. Like Sam, as you're talking, sure. like I yeah. feel like energetic healing and like, oh, you're holding space for that child, yes, for within child. Him so beautifully, right? And yeah. you feel that. Yeah. Yes. Oh God, I love you guys. So um <laughs> the the main goal of source code psychology is to do the reparenting yeah. and every single child adult therapy client mm -hmm. needs a different thing yeah. because each of these coping styles were created by parents, not giving the child exactly what they needed. So we get to see, okay, what is it that they didn't get that they need and provide it. So some clients are going to need fierce boundaries from you. That's what they didn't get. Mm -hmm. Some clients are going to need so much tenderness and warmth and care if that's what they didn't get. Some clients are going to need you to feel into the erotic transference and enjoy that sexual, sensual part of them and draw it out and say, yes, there is a warmth and an attraction between us. Isn't that exciting? Mm -hmm. If they, if that part of them got shut down, whatever it is that they didn't get that they needed, that's what we give. Mm -hmm. We are the stand-in parent. We're the new archetype of the caregiver. They might need a very warm maternal feminine. They might need a big dick daddy. No. Yeah. Right? So <laughs> big we, dick daddy. No, that's going to be the code that we to, use. That's we've got to be able to embody all of those things. And by the way, you have to embody them different. Like one day they might need that big dick daddy energy. And the next day they might need the maternal energy. And part of your kind of job or role is actually to be able to be fluid. In I was just going to say that. Yeah, yeah. To move fluidly between those roles was like, Ooh, wait, what hole in their psyche are we dealing with? And how, how do I right. hold it so that it, they become whole? Mm. Yeah. And, um, you know, just what you were saying about the formula, the one thing I would add, and it's another paradox. Again, I love paradoxes is just that what, what issue people often take with depth therapy is that it is so ephemeral and it mm. can be meandering and it can take forever and there is no map. And that's why I created source code and the 12 coping styles as a map yeah. so that you always know where you are on the map. And there are 
a handful of clear interventions that help with each. It's like, oh, if they're constricted, they need this. If they're deprived, they need that. If they're frustrated, they need this. If they're omnipotent, they need that. Mm -hmm. And you know what it is that they need and you know how to give it. So you're empowered. That doesn't take away from how rich and sweaty and alive it is between you. It is. But there is a map and there is a formula that's very empowering and orienting. Well, it's providing containment, right? I mean, there's a safety that's included in containment that if we're in too much of the feminine space, we might not necessarily have. And then there's a restriction and constriction that happens when you're too much in the masculine and you don't have that ability to be fluid, right? So I love this because it does give like a container to something that could otherwise for a lot of people feel too uncontained. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's that beautiful balance of both. Yeah. Mm. Well, Sam, we could do this all day. I mean, we could literally <laughs> just like keep you. I know. <laughs> but we are now friends and yes, uh, we will be now. making a coffee date soon. <laughs> um, but we do have some questions that we ask Ooh. all of our guests and I want to make Ooh. sure we have time to get your lightning response answers. Oh. Yeah. Did anyone want to I love these. Yes. So who have been your greatest mentors, teachers, influences, whether people you've known, um, people that you've just been inspired by along your journey up to this point? When I was 16, I met a woman who was 22 who became my best friend. Her name was Taylor Ross. She's now a nonviolent parenting educator. Mm. And um, she was the first person who saw me and who showed me that I have a self and a body and a soul and she introduced me to this whole world of being awake and being connected. And so she's the first portal opener for me. Um, my mentor, Steve Cottle, who I sat with for 10 years, who taught me everything I know about object relations and depth therapy. Um, he's incredible. And um, Deanna Smith, my coach, who I referenced earlier, she's um, an embodiment alchemist. I call her a soul charmer. She just, mm-hmm. she does this sneaky thing and she just draws your soul out and you're like, yes. You know, I'd been searching for 25 years for help with all of my coping styles. And, you know, I'd had little milestones along the way, but it was like the way she was able to contain me and move fluidly between all those different reparenting things that I needed and how she took on her role as my new parent very seriously. She's huge, huge Mm -hmm. instrumental. Yeah. I mean, I would say, I would say those are the biggest um, influences in my life. Mm -hmm. I love that. Um, So what are you doing? when you find yourself in a state of flow. So what for you kind of provides that psychic state where you're like, you blink your eyes an entire day could go up, go by. You don't even realize it. Oh, I love that question. Well, I've been meditating twice a day for a few years now, and that really does it. Um, I do a Dr. Joe Dispenza meditation every morning, the 24 minute one. And I just feel into how I want to feel and what I, how I want things to go. And it really is quite miraculous and magical. Um, it puts me into a flow state, but anytime what I've been noticing recently is if I get triggered or something feels uncomfortable in the past, the way I would come at it would be from my analytical mind. I try to figure it out and fix it. Mm -hmm. And I actually am finding the power of just letting it go. Mm -hmm. I mean, releasing it back to the ether not giving it another thought, trusting the universe. And I find that when I do that and really surrender, the thing comes back to me within days or minutes and is entirely different than what I thought or how it had presented before. And it's all good now. And I'm like, ah, so the, the powers that be know how to dream a bigger dream than I can. And if I try to like have my little ego that could figure it out, I usually fuck it up. Mm -hmm. And so just fully letting it go 
is the most radical act of self-love I find. And it's keeping me in a flow state a lot more of the time. Oh, that's I could, right. We could do an entire conversation. I, on mean, that, I have so many questions and things I want to talk about, but okay. Keep going. Did I just... So are kind of people. Oh, oh my God. Um, <laughs> I'm like, I lost. What, is what was the question again? Question. <laughs> um, what breaks your heart, Sam? Factory farming. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Amen to the two non-meat eaters. <laughs> yes. That's some mm-hmm. veggies in the house here. Yeah. And I'm not a vegetarian and I do eat meat and I even eat factory farmed meat. Mm-hmm. And, and it breaks my heart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the final one, well, we're talking about food, but the final one, what's your favorite food? Oh my God. Um, I don't know. There's, I love so much. I don't know. This is coming to mind for a random reason because it was prompted by yesterday, but I love porcini mushrooms so much. Very specific. Okay. They taste like, they're like truffles, but different, really different. And I, oh, that flavor is just like nothing else in this world. I love this question. I, I, at some point after like maybe a couple of years of us doing the show, I want to do like a cut side by side of all the answers and the reactions more <laughs> than anything that we get to this. Cause people's reactions are usually like, Oh, like they get this very like, Oh, like it's the sensual experience. Right. Which is really what food is, but I love really? it. I yes, love Vanessa. It. Well, maybe, oh. maybe it's just me. I don't know. No. Yes. I'm a sensualist. So yeah, ask me anything about colors or tastes or textures. And I'll mm-hmm. be very happy to talk about it all day. Sam, I am so like, I don't know that I've been this excited for a book in a really long time. I cannot wait for your book to come out. Um, I can send you guys some chapters if you want. I mean, we're here for it. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Will you tell our listeners some more about where they can find you if they want to dive deeper and learn more about what you're talking about? Sure. So my website is drsamrader.com, D-R-S-A-M-R-A-D-E-R.com. And um, my Instagram is Dr. Sam Rader, (laughs) D-R-S-A-M-R-A-D-E-R. I'm like, wait, it's the same thing. Okay. Um, (laughs) And um, yeah, just come on in and join my whaling list, download the free coping styles pocket guide. This is actually amazing. It's like a full deep dive on each of the 12 styles with journaling prompts for if this is you and also Mm -hmm. if this is someone you love. And so it's like really rich and really wets your palate and starts the process of, of becoming more of who you really are. It really starts like the tectonic plates in the unconscious start shifting just from looking at this damn free thing. So tell us about this, this, um, is it six week or eight week class you have going on? It's a 12 week class 12 week, Okay, and, um, it's an intensive on the coping styles. So we do a deep dive on one style per week Got it. where you learn all about the style, what formed it. We do embodiment practices to release ourselves from it. And we talk about how to treat clients who have it. So I just taught a round of the 12 week and it is mind blowing. Like people were having the holy shifts it's a group of 25 people on zoom. And I was like, there's no way it's going to be that intense. People's whole lives were changing. They're like, I've repaired with my father. I trust myself now I'm making money. I'm no longer sick with this illness, this, this, like everyone, like I quit my corporate job. I'm like, oh, it's (laughs) magic is possible. Even in a frame that's that, um, interesting. I don't know what to say about it, but yes, it's very powerful. And this so is it's the- for coaches and therapists. It's for clinicians. You know, that's how I created it, but actually yeah. people came that aren't okay. and they did amazing as well. Okay. So really any seekers, any depth seekers, people who want to know themselves and other mm. people 
people better mm -hmm. and want to heal. And this is the space where we really do our own healing. We do talk about how to treat clients, but it's really that, that thing I was saying, if you can only go, you can only take your clients as far as you've gone yourself. And so yeah. we do the deep inner healing on ourselves in these, in these classes. Love it. Well, I love that about your pocket guide that you say, yeah. you know, for people you love as well. Cause I think a lot of times there can be ways that we are seeing, you know, maladaptive behaviors and like a family member or something that like, we really struggle to love someone well, according to the way that they are consistently showing up. So yes. I think that's a really beautiful way to hold compassion for the people in our lives as well. Yes. One of the people in the last 12 weeks said, she, cause we all said our reason for joining. And she said her reason was to be able to feel more compassion and understanding for the things that drive her nuts in other people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can relate you know, to that. She said she really feels so differently now because yeah. she understands where the wounds come from mm -hmm. and why they're doing this and how to support them so that they can do less of whatever they're doing. Yeah. Ooh. Well, so cool. to be continued, we'll be doing a part two of this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God you guys it flew by. I, I loved every second you guys. <laughs> so good. Oh, thank you oh. so much, Sam. And thank you for doing this. It's like so powerful. Yeah. I don't, I don't really know anyone else doing a, a podcast on depth therapy. I mean, there are a couple that I listen to, but they're like real nerdy. Like <laughs> you, you got to really want to yeah. like dive into depth to get in there. And yeah. Learn. Danae knows there's this one that I love and I don't even know how I found it for any of you guys listening. If you like really want to get nerdy in the Jungian world, um, <laughs> But it's, um, oh, now, now, of course, I'm on the spot and I'm forgetting what it is. I'll, I'll put it in like show notes. Maybe our producer can put it up. But um, it's a Jungian podcast, but it's literally just three Jungian analysts and they go into topics and they just go in. But I mean, it is like hardcore Jungian stuff. So I think for the, the average Joe would be like, what? in God's name, are you guys talking about, but I love it. I eat it. Up, I like so. to bring it to street, depth to street level as John would say, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. That is the best. Yeah. That's what I want to. Yeah. Awesome. Well, well, thank you so much, Sam. Um, really looking forward to your book. Thank you guys. I couldn't be more grateful. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us, you can find us on Instagram at Vanessa S. Bennett and at Danae Logan Selkin. Thank you.